Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast for those who want to improve their mental health. I'm your host and licensed marriage and family therapist, Justin Lewis. On this week's episode, Leslie Donner, therapist here at Compass, joins me to talk about just how accurate mental health is portrayed in movies and TV shows. We're going to discuss both how precise Hollywood gets the therapeutic relationship and how different shows have represented mental health diagnosis, both good and not so good. Leslie will also share some movies that inspired her to become a therapist in the first place and uh, also discuss the dangers of judging therapy by what you see on television. And before our interview, I just want to let you know that Mapping Healthy Minds podcast, this episode of Mapping Healthy Minds podcast, that is, is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it can't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. Here is my interview with Leslie Donner. Oh, and if it sounds like I am a little bit confused on what the topic is whenever we uh, begin our interview, it's simply because I was how that impacts us interpersonally and how that impacts us intrapersonally. I thought Does we were sound? talking about movies. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about movies then. Changing of gears. So we're going to talk about movies, TV shows, and how they accurately or possibly inaccurately inform the general public on mental health. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then maybe we could t- touch on um, you know, the image that they put out, too, of therapy and the therapeutic process. And, what and that's therapists, that's good. Like. Yeah, that's, that's good because when people come to our office, a lot of times all they have is what they've seen on TV right. or movies, and they expect to lay, da- lay down in our office or yes. something like that. And I don't know what they expect from us as much as maybe like from me smoking a pipe or something yeah like the oh standard. Yeah. yeah have a beard baldness and i guess to ask uh, a i do lean into it with the cardigans yeah the cardigans really <laughs> yeah kinda, that's true yeah you do yeah. you're kind of fitting the i press that stereo, stereotype yeah. a little bit there don't i yeah okay so um what is the one in particular that you would immediately think about maybe that more of a general public has seen hmm. as far as a movie tv show that well let's see if we can think of one that accurately depicts therapists are okay. there any out okay. there okay well i do have one in mind although this uh, this familiar trope also plays out in this particular series uh probably my favorite series ever ever on tv was the sopranos Okay. Yeah. So, um, did you watch that? I yes, some of it. Yes, I know. Okay. I've seen. I think does the therapist only show up in the first season of that uh, show? No, she's in all the way. I think every season. Okay. Dr. Melfi, um, and that was uh, Lorraine Bracco played her. Um, what I loved about that, and when I mentioned the trope that they go into, they they show a, a fantasy scene of the main character getting intimate with his therapist. And that is not 
common, although if you watch Hollywood movies and TV, you think that it is common, and that's probably uh, one of the most um, annoying, uh, maybe even like dangerous uh, ideas out there that therapists like you know fall in love with their clients and things like that. Um, right. I don't know the percentages, but I would say that that's rare for that to happen. Um, so one thing that I like about uh, it's more interesting to watch on TV than our yeah. standard therapy session. Oh know, probably. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's also a part where um, Tony Soprano maybe he gets mad and. I don't know what it maybe tosses the desk like pushes the desk over he does something that really scares the um the therapist i think and she's a psychiatrist in the movie mm-hmm. um you know and i guess that could happen in real life uh but they they make use of like dream sequences in order to um show things that didn't really happen um but what i like about it is that oftentimes they would sit in a session um for long periods of time and wouldn't say anything Mm. so it showed how sometimes lengthy the process of change and therapy can be Mm -hmm. Uh, that it's not like you get fixed in two or three sessions because you know he sees her for for years and she takes um the psycho it's more of the psychoanalytic kind of psychodynamic approach with him they spend a lot of time focusing on his mom and his relationship with her um and and most people uh, if they have very limited knowledge of the field of therapy psychology they're familiar with freud so her approach is um you know kind of freudian which i also uh like there aren't a lot of therapists today that take that approach i think that freud actually uh was uh, fairly accurate about a lot of his theories even though he didn't ever do any um valid research to support them i think that we we see them play out in in real life a lot um so i i did like that show's depiction of therapy except for that that one thing about showing the the relationship escalating Mm -hmm. between the therapist and the and the client you make a really good point about the length of time that the scenes are in that yeah. show because many times in shows where there's a therapist involved they just show you know it's just one scene and it's the couples getting aha moments yeah you know like oh, right yeah. then so you get this impression that you're gonna walk into therapy and like it's gonna be a an hour-long aha moment right. sort of deal you know instead of the the time that it takes to really get to know someone and you know the rhythm that it takes to get a feel for another person and yeah and so i i think that's a good point about that show that it's not just a constant barrage of aha moments right so. but it's it's a long painful process <laughs> sometimes <laughs> right. for the therapist right. too right yeah right yeah that's true okay yeah that's a good example of a show where that's um the case i saw one recently and it was on Prime, and it was also a really interesting depiction of how it might go, but we don't know it goes this way necessarily. So it's, um, what is that show? It was based on the New York Times editorials that are written about different love stories or modern love. Mm -hmm. Okay, modern love is... The series in the New York Times where people talk about their love life, and they've adapted it to television. So each episode is different characters or whatever. And this particular episode was Tina Fey 
and another actor who was her husband, and they were in couples counseling. And the particular session ended, and they were like, all right, we're done with this. So as far as the therapist knows, couple decided that they're done with their relationship. They don't yeah. want to come back. They're divorcing, whatever. But then, like, soon after they leave their therapy session, they end up um, reconciling yeah. and getting back together. And the therapist has no idea about this. So this is really interesting from my perspective, watching right. this as a therapist, like, and then kind of thinking, well, oftentimes we don't know the rest of the story. Right. And so, um, you know, this particular example is more informative to therapists maybe than it is the general public, but also good for the general public to know, you know, plant seeds that are planted in therapy may sprout later as well. So um, that's another important part to know for therapists and client, I think, that the work that's done in the session may yield immediate results. I think it can. I think it does. But also it can grow later and so we don't know that sometimes which is hard and even if um like in couples therapy i guess even if they don't stay together i wouldn't view that as therapy necessarily being a failure either i i've i've had that discussion with people recently about their marriages like people who were divorcing or even friends who were divorcing and um, I had a friend that said something about something about another you know failed marriage. I said it's not a failed marriage. It's just over. You didn't mm-hmm. fail. Mm-hmm. It's just over. Right now you start a new chapter. And she kind of liked looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. Like everything is not a hundred percent bad. Right. Yeah. 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 Kind of our all or nothing society. Yeah. It's all bad or all good. Yeah. Try to make the most of whatever situations in front of you. That's true. So let's see. So we've got some examples that are kind of interesting and maybe accurately a, a portrayal. Yeah. Oh. What about, you have another one in mind oh, here? Oh, I just thought of one okay. that I haven't thought of in years. Um, there was a series called In Treatment. I was just thinking of that you show. Are, now, yes. who's that guy? Who is that actor? You're talking about the character's name or the actor's name? Both. The character's name is Paul Weston, okay. and the actor's name is Gabriel Burn. Burn, yes. Yeah. It was so, it was sad sometimes because it showed him with a variety of different clients. Now, that, those gave some lengthy therapy sessions. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, I felt like it was real. Mm hmm. Yeah, I had to stop watching that because I was like, engaging a little too much. Yeah, I was like, well, therapy during the day, I can come home and not watch therapy okay. at night, too. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was, it was interesting at first, you know, to, to see that and um, perspective, but yeah, I had to not watch that. But it was it was also interesting because it showed how the therapist is not a perfect person. Oh yeah, and how he needed to go to therapy himself, and he was being impacted by the situations and, right. that he was dealing with. So yeah, it was a very um, complicated character. Yeah. So yeah, and that's on HBO. Is that over? Oh, yeah, that's long. It's been over over for a while, yeah. So what about one where it's kind of like facepalm whenever you see? Uh, hmm. Ah, you know, Rain Man, great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people think that 
anyone with autism spectrum disorder is going to be you know brilliant or have some sort of special mm -hmm. skills I believe it's called savant syndrome what he actually demonstrated and you know there are some people that are on that spectrum that happen to have those abilities but it's you know again that's pretty rare mm -hmm. right yeah that's kind of a misrepresentation of people that have on the autism yeah. spectrum so then the expectation is this person's autistic so they must be brilliant they right. just can't tell us that they're brilliant kind right. of thing yeah, yeah. or uh, well I wonder if you've seen this one. It's it's classic when I think of borderline personality. Mm. Can you think of one that you is that the one with, with uh, the actress? 80s, that I can in the eighty seven maybe this movie was made. Are you just testing me? Do you know the answer? She burned the bunny. Hmm. She burned the bunny. It's not coming to me. You have to help me out. Fatal here. attraction. Fatal attraction. Okay. okay. So it was Glenn Close and Michael Douglas, and he. He's married, he has an affair with this lady he meets through work, and over the course of just a couple of weeks, she's completely in love with him, uh, threatening suicide, stalking his wife and his child, and mm. it escalates, and um, you know, at the end of the, she ends up dead at the end of the movie, um, tries to kill the wife. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people will reference that movie when they're talking about borderline personality. Okay, well... <laughs> It's true that people with that disorder might, uh, well, they are self-destructive at times and impulsive, and they do fall into relationships and fall in love with people rather quickly. Um, they could make suicide attempts or you know try to get attention in inappropriate ways, but they don't rise to that level of um, you know burning the daughter's bunny rabbit on the stove right. or trying to kill the wife or you know um and i think that i wonder how people that have those disorders that are portrayed in movies like that i wonder how that makes them feel it has to make them feel angry mm. because that's mm -hmm. a disorder where people they already feel bad about who they are inherently anyway mm -hmm. So I'm sure that that does a you know it does a real disservice to those people that that struggle with those illnesses. Mm -hmm. I've seen one. Girl Interrupted oh, was love one that, that movie so uh, much. Yeah, that was very much uh, focused on that borderline personality. Yeah. Someone went to a mental health facility. Even I think at that point, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But, that was yeah. uh, one on a writer's character, mm -hmm. Susanna Kaysen, who actually wrote the book Girl Interrupted. Mm. And, um, yeah, her character in the movie ha had made some poor choices. I think she ended up having a relationship with her teacher who was married, and she was maybe 17, 18 at the time. Mm. Um, had some, some self-harm, some drug use. I think that one was much more accurate in its portrayal. Um, of course, And that one also uh, depicted antisocial personality disorder pretty well in a female which was the angelina jolie character in that movie yeah that was she did a good job with that i remember that as well yeah. so yeah those are some good ones yeah it oh and it had a uh, a particularly haunting scene of um suicide in one of the characters who had mm. an eating disorder and also had a history of sexual abuse mm. um and the, well, I just remembered the actress that played that character, Brittany Murphy, died in mm. her, I don't know, she was in her early 30s. That's been in the last 10 years. Yeah, she had her own struggles, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
do you as a therapist find it hard to watch those movies or any I different? as a person find it hard. <laughs> okay. And you know what's what's really funny? A lot of people have asked me over the years, have I ever seen a beautiful mind? Which I've always heard is amazing and a great depiction of schizophrenia. And I deliberately have not watched it because mm. I think that it would bother me too much. To oh yeah. It. Have you seen that? I have. It's been a long time. So yeah. I don't, it's the one with Russell Crowe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then there's uh, Goodwill Hunting. Everybody thinks uh, about the uh, the therapist Robin Williams in Goodwill yes. Hunting. Yeah. Robin Williams actually. How many made times me... have you thought about telling somebody it's not your fault? Yeah. In a counseling session. Oh, it's, wait for them I to know. stand up and push I you know. or something and really think you're doing a good job. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. And they actually he grabbed him by the neck at one point. So that part's bad. Like, yeah, that's not the therapist good. Therapist should not grab you or, or you know be violent towards you at all. But uh, those moments that it captures where they have these breakthroughs are so authentic that it's it's hard not to get engaged in the material. But Robin mm-hmm. Williams actually had a major impact on me just watching him through the years. He um, Watching him in that movie made me want to be a therapist. Watching him in mm. Dead Poets Society made me want to be a teacher. Oh, yeah. So right And then, of course, he ends up dying of, you know, sure. what some have said is was probably suicide and... Um, you know, he had a lot of issues as well, which a lot of these really talented actors and musicians and comedians do seem to struggle with mental illness in some way. And I think that they pull from that. And that's why they're so talented and able to portray the mental illnesses and just to, I don't know, to be so impactful in what they do, because all that, that talent comes from pain. Right, it's all about compensating, right? Yeah. Performing is all about trying to hide something, and, yeah. you know, and so they get really good at hiding something, right. and then they're rewarded for it, you know, and yeah. it's just kind of a, um, I don't know if it's vicious cycle as much as it is just a unique way to be rewarded for compensating yeah. for a, pain, yeah. And I, I guess you could, it's kind of a defense mechanism of, of sublimation, you know, channel all this negative stuff into something mm-hmm. good, create something with it, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's not the worst thing you could do. True, yeah, true. It's probably a more hopeful way to look at it. Yeah. But I have heard some actors, performers talk about, um, I learned all these skills from trying to mask things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so... Yeah. Um, being able to perform is all about being something different. And right. So, anyways, that's kind of an interesting side note. Okay, so we've talked about um, some good, some not so good. Generally, do you have an opinion on how movies or TV shows can impact in a positive or negative way? Well, I guess another question might be... <laughs> Is it even their role to do that? I'll be asking the questions here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, as you said that, I start thinking about some of our other conversations, and I'm like, no, wait a minute. It is entertainment. Yeah, I definitely do not think it's their role, but there are consequences. I mean, there's consequences or, you know, things happen after that, whether or not they're intending. Is it irresponsible? Especially, oh, okay, so I think of that series, 13 Reasons Why. Oh, yeah, boy. And a lot of people said, well, that's irresponsible in the way that they have glorified suicide. And they've, you know, well, I think it's the parents' role to know what their kids are watching, to watch it with them. Um, 
but maybe if if a show or a movie is deliberately marketing to a certain audience, maybe they should take that into account. Oh gosh, but then you get into should they have trigger warnings and I, I have some feelings mm. about that that I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Well, you know, you bring up 13 reasons. I think that's terrible. <laughs> I've never watched it yeah, personally, yeah. but I made a conscious effort not to watch it because I didn't want to give Netflix the the hits. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like I didn't want to <laughs> give them no yeah. viewership. Um, and that might be kind of silly, but I just think, yeah, they're representing representing it inappropriately because teenagers start getting the viewpoint of I get to see what happens yeah. after. I get to see how people will react after I hurt myself, right, they but they don't get happy. to. See, but they don't get to yes. see that they're gone, They've and so they kind of get this fantasy anyway. That right. that it is uh, this romantic notion of everyone will miss me, and it'll and they'll get to know life. about, and they'll get to be aware of all this, <laughs> right. you know, because you know from the perspective of you watch the TV show, you know, yeah. and you you start to connect with that perspective of the TV show, and that's kind of another avenue we could go down about how we connect with. The point of view that we yeah. are with, you know, we got all these shows where it's like the anti-hero kind of oh, deal, yeah. like you know, oh, the underdog, it's like sure, underdog, but also like you know, Breaking Bad stuff. It's like I start oh, hoping that yeah. this teacher does not get caught for cooking meth. It's right. like, <laughs> now, aren't I supposed to be hoping that he does get busted? I know. And you know, then, you and then like, you're what like, does this say about me? Yeah, it's just all about the human reaction to the point of view that we're yeah. in. So, back to thirteen reasons, you start to empathize with the point of view of someone who's hurt themselves yeah. and so that can create some problems with that but uh, especially for a viewership whose right. brains are not developed right. at all at least I can to some degree be like all right I realize I'm empathizing with a person who yeah. is cooking meth and killing people and, yeah, <laughs> and, and, that's kind of, and this is not real life and I'm not gonna yeah right right this. right but <laughs> at least my brain is developed enough to do that but for teenagers who that it's going to watch that show. Yeah. You know, they're not to that degree. So, um, although I don't think Hollywood is responsible for any reason, they can definitely have some ethical yeah. boundaries to, to keep inside. Yeah. Um, you mentioned having some feelings about trigger warnings. Yeah. What are those? <sighs> well, you know, you see them before movies. Oh, wait, are you asking me what they are? You know what they are. I know what they are. I wonder what your feelings are. I don't oh, know. okay. That's what I'm... Uh, I just... I don't know. I, I say that. I say that it annoys me that why do we need to be warned about watching a dramatic movie? We should expect that there might be some sort of trauma that happens. Why are we so unable to... Look outside ourselves. Why do we have to maybe make everything about us mm. um, and how it impacts us, how it affects us, how it hurts us? Maybe that sounds really insensitive. Um, I, th- I think it's something to do with the kind of culture we are. We, we're such an individualistic culture, and it's just we're kind of selfish and I think that that's part of it. So I watched a show recently that was very careful to give warnings, trigger warnings. 
about episodes and it was so like explicit about its warning that I was anxious watching the show. Yeah. Like waiting for this moment where I was just going to be totally, you know, impacted. Right. Even by this event. And it said what it was that I had not personally experienced, but oh, the whole time I was anxious watching the show waiting to be like, oh, this is terrible. Right. And, I'm going to say in comparison to even shows that are like this was a show that you can watch. Um, This was on Apple TV. So it wasn't a network show that, you know, they have to watch. They they had no responsibility to edit anything in the show. Right. It's one of that kind of deals. So I I have no idea what's coming, you know, and it turned out to be something that was. I hate to say it this way, but especially relative to what it was warning very mild yeah and i was you know i just started thinking i I don't i didn't i had some really mixed feelings on how much they warned you about what happened it impacted your enjoyment of it yeah and it's more than that like it created anxiety for me i can only imagine like people that may have even come close to experiencing something that they were advertising as a warning like man like totally and then it turned out to not be nearly as bad as stuff that you see on TV. Yeah. <laughs> or just like, yeah. I mean, so I've been, I wonder if more and more shows are going to do that or if they were doing that p- yeah. for any particular reason. But it was, uh, I don't know if I should do a spoiler alert or not here. It was a show on Apple TV called The Morning Show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. well... Did you watch that? No, I haven't. I've had it recommended by several people. But um, knowing what the show is about, I guess that makes sense that that show would feel the need to have a trigger warning. Right, yeah, I guess that kind of... <laughs> it's a little meta there, isn't it? But yeah. Trying to cover all their bases. Yeah. But But the trigger warning was very explicit to the point where it, I was anxious the whole yeah. time. And it didn't happen until the end of the episode. And then I was like... Hmm, is that it? Yeah, right. <laughs> With the fear of sounding insensitive, I'm just like, oh. So I, you I know, don't know, I think the trigger warnings assume that people can't handle stuff, that people are not resilient. And I think that we do people a disservice by assuming that they need the trigger warnings yeah. about everything. Or maybe it was a COA situation where they thought yeah. if we really make sure that we protect this then yeah. no one's going to be upset with this for having this scene or something too, because, yeah i don't know everything is so limited that the things in the entertainment industry especially uh, entertainment was always supposed to be an escape from reality <laughs> and now reality has crept in a little bit too much right right yeah that's true that is a good point I haven't mentioned my one of my favorite movies, which I say it's a favorite movie, but I've only seen it maybe twice and not in the last 10 years. <laughs> because again, when something has a big impact on me, I tend to not watch it again. I don't know why. Maybe because the more I watch it, it, it seems less meaningful or something. Um, but the movie The Hurt Locker and mm. its depiction of post-traumatic stress disorder, because... Um, and they don't actually they're never real clear about the guy in the movie that he has PTSD that's it's kind of just my assessment of it but every other war movie has been more focused on 
the actual war or it's been more of an mm. action movie or uh, and some of them have been I think accurate and you know I've never been on the front line so I can't say that I, I'm speaking right. from the perspective of someone who's talked to people with PTSD um, yeah. some of those are really difficult to watch uh, platoon for example um, right I just watched that again recently yeah. it's just it's you know wild um, with the hurt locker though the main character um, played by Jeremy Renner he diffuses bombs so he's on the bomb squad and you don't see that a lot in any of the the war theme movies you see the the people who are you know part of the actual combat so his job is to go in and it's in the iraq war and he's to go in and um defuse the bombs so <laughs> like the most high stress job that yeah. i can think of you know sure. um the the part of that movie that struck me the most with regards to PTSD, is how comfortable he was in the war setting, um, and how oh, there's a phrase at the beginning of the movie I can't think of now, but it's something about oh, like war is addictive. It's something about the nature of combat um, that can be an adrenaline rush, which is something that. Uh, people don't like to talk about mm -hmm. um, the act of taking a life. Mm -hmm. it, you know, as, as horrific as that sounds, as traumatizing as it may be, it also is frequently accompanied by this adrenaline rush, which um, most people have experienced who've been in that situation. But man, they don't want to talk about that, and, and not with certainly not with anybody that knows them well or their family members and most of them are really troubled by that they're sure. troubled by that feeling but that's also what i think keeps people going back um just the the intensity of the situation and those that i've worked with it was almost a good way of knowing who had ptsd and who didn't because the ones who truly had it they wanted to go back they wanted to be deployed again mm. they were more comfortable in that situation mm -hmm. than they were at home and the scene that depicts that so well for me is at the end of this movie when he's you know he's done all this amazing stuff he's saved all these lives he's put his own life in danger countless times and at the end of the movie he's back home and he's in a grocery store and he's standing in the cereal aisle and he can't decide which cereal to buy mm. and it just it shows just his face and his body language and it's like you can understand how he feels that hey i can't cope with my everyday life i can make life or death decisions in combat mm. but i can't choose a breakfast cereal sure so it's just, like there's I so many that choices that he never had to make before like yeah. a lot of those things were made for him and he had to all his focus was on very important yeah decisions. and that just yeah. the mundane yeah just that it depicts that just the numbness that a lot of people feel the way that people want to go back into the situation and it's not just military it might be policemen or firefighters or anyone who's been through trauma before that they do get this attitude of wow you know i could i could die today eh, who cares mm -hmm. and, and it's like i've had them tell me that they actually have that feeling and then they think man what's wrong with me that I feel that way? But it's really common. Yeah. Yeah, you get drawn into something that you feel is very meaningful. Yeah. And then you step out of that and start doing something that you don't get the same 
feeling from and it's yeah. just kind of yeah depressing right hmm. okay so let's see i guess we're kind of at a stopping point here okay. for talking about movies and tv shows thank you so much for joining me you're welcome this has been mapping healthy minds a podcast that wants to help you improve your mental health Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it shouldn't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and also in-person counseling uh, in the locations of Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. We also are offering a free ebook. And that ebook is called 10 Questions to Ask Before Starting Counseling. And you can get yours today by clicking on the link located in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find a bunch of other episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. All of them are available at mappinghealthyminds.com. And if you want to follow us a little bit more, then uh, you can find us on social media. We have uh, accounts on Facebook, also on Instagram. You can get more information about the topics, the guests, and get the latest news on our podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis. We all have mental health. Keep yours in good shape.